As you're being seated, go ahead and find your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Samuel today, chapter 1. There's a story from the Civil War about a man by the name of Wilmer McLean. He was 46 years old, and he was deemed too old to fight in the Civil War. And so he and his wife, Virginia, lived a quiet life on a 30-acre farm there in the state of Virginia. But then in July of 1861, his farm was invaded. In fact, both armies, the Union Army and the Confederate Army, invaded his farm. And there the first major battle of the Civil War took place, literally, in his front yard, the Battle of Bull Run. Well, McLean and his family were pretty well kicked out of their home because it was taken over as headquarters for the Confederates. And his barn was uh, taken over as the hospital for both armies. And so by the time the Battle of Bull Run was over, the farm had been absolutely decimated. So McLean comes back and he rebuilds. And for a year, they worked to get the farm back in working order. And then in August of 1862, there is the second battle of Bull Run. Once again, the armies come back to his front yard, and another battle takes place there on his yard. Talk about bad luck. Talk about unfair. So McLean decides, okay, I've had enough. He sells the farm. He and his family move 120 miles all the way across the state of Virginia in order just to kind of stay out of the whole thing. And then in August 9th, 1865, Colonel Charles Marshall rides into town. The first person that he happens to see is poor Wilmer McLean. And he says, I need your house. So that afternoon, General Lee surrenders to General Grant sitting in the parlor of Wilmer McLean's home. Talk about a guy that just had no luck. It just seemed like he was always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Do you ever feel like life is unfair? Do you ever feel like, man, it just seems like I can't catch a break? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're introduced to a young woman by the name of Hannah, who was living a life that just wasn't fair. Her life began as a love story. She met the man of her dreams, a man by the name of Elkanah. And she and Elkanah fell in love. They were married, and no doubt they had dreams. One of their dreams was to have a family. They envisioned having many, many children so that they could build their family and build their life together. But then the months went by and no children arrived. Then the months turned to years and there were no children. Hannah lived in an extremely unfair culture. It was particularly bad for women in this culture. And so infertility was considered to be a curse. So Elkanah took a second wife, a woman by the name of Nina, and he added her to the family in hopes that he might be able to have an heir through Nina. Now, people sometimes ask me, is polygamy, having more than one wife, okay 
since it's in the Bible, and some of the heroes of the Old Testament had more than one wife? The answer to that question is no. Polygamy is not okay. Yes, it was common during biblical times, but no, it was never God's plan. It was not God's plan for the family, and it was never a good idea. In fact, if you read Genesis and you read the Old Testament, you discover that time and time again, polygamy led to breakdowns in the family, and it led to a great deal of heartache. I mean, let's get real. There is not a man in here who needs two wives, right? (laughs) You don't need two wives, because here's what's going to happen. Okay, you get these visions, oh, wouldn't it be great to have... Okay, first of all, either they're going to fight with each other all the time, and you're going to have to be the referee, or they're going to get along really well and gang up on you, okay? So you don't need two wives, and it's never a good idea. It wasn't a good idea in the Bible as well. Well, Elkanah, his family, after taking the second wife, it just began to fall apart. Nina had children. Hannah did not. And Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved Nina. And so he gave her his time. He gave her his affection. Whenever they would go to worship, he would give Hannah a double portion of resources to offer to the Lord. And so Nina began to torment Hannah. I mean, she just began to pick on her, antagonize her, and torment her to the point that she became deeply depressed, and her husband was quite concerned about her. So we pick up the story, 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 7. Whenever she, talking about Hannah here, went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way every year. Hannah wept and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah asked. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? I like this last question. Am I not better to you than ten sons? So let's notice a few things about Hannah. Number one, she was antagonized. She had somebody, and probably a lot of you can relate, She had somebody in her life throwing grenades over the wall. She had somebody trying to push her buttons all the time and antagonizing her. And she was beginning to display many of the symptoms of someone that was dealing with depression. She could not eat. She was evidently downcast. She was hurt. And evidently, she was crying often to the degree that her eyes would be swollen from her tears, and her husband was concerned, and he did not know what to do. You ever reached a spot in your life where you just don't have answers anymore? Or that spot where you just don't know what to do for somebody that you love deeply? Stacy and I prayed for 10 years to have children. We're fortunate now that we have a boatload of kids, but uh, But for 10 years, we did not know if we were going to have children. They were, it was a good decade. We had so many good memories during that time. But there were also some times where it was emotionally difficult. 
And people are well-meaning, but when we were going through that season of infertility, they would sometimes say just the wrong things. Uh, I remember one of the things that they would say a lot of times was, you guys just need to relax. If you'll just relax, everything will be okay. Or you just need to get rid of the dog. If you quit loving on that dog, then everything will be okay. And here was my favorite. This was the country boy thing. They'd say, do I need to explain to you how things work? Like, no, dude, I'm okay, all right? So I've got it figured out, okay? So, so here's Elkanah, and he's worried about his wife, and he delivers one of the, the, the all-time worst lines in Scripture. Uh, he says, babe, I added that part. That's not really in the Greek manu- Hebrew manuscripts, but babe, am I not better to you than ten sons? You know, why are you wanting children so much whenever you have me? (laughs) You know, this hunk that's right before you. And it's not in the Bible, but I think Hannah was probably like, you're a good guy, Elkanah, but you just don't understand what I'm going through right now. And so in verse 8, Hannah turns to God. And we have what is one of the great prayers of the Bible. The Scriptures say, I'm actually in verse 9, Hannah got up. After they ate and drank at Shiloh, Eli the high priest was sitting on a chair by the doorstep of the Lord's tabernacle. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of hosts, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. Now, several things I want you to take note of when it comes to Hannah's prayer. I want you to notice, first of all, that she left the feast. She left the party, and she went to the tabernacle, the place of worship, and she allowed herself just to melt, just to spend time in the presence of God. There are times when you need to unplug. There are times when you need to leave the party, turn off the cell phone, quit taking the request, and just spend time in the presence of God. We talked about last week how with all the inputs that are coming into our lives, sometimes prayer has become a lost art. It is the forgotten spiritual discipline. Yet it is so critical for spiritual maturity. And so frequently, we just don't pray. Or we outsource our prayers. And I hear a lot, some folks say, I just don't know how to pray. Prayer is hard. Well, if you know how to talk, you know how to pray. Prayer is simply you spending time in the presence of God, talking to God. You can voice your prayers, you can write your prayers, you can sing your prayers, and sometimes prayer is just entering into the presence of God. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. I've developed this in my own prayer life over the years. There's times where I'm just, I'm just troubled about something, I'm stressed about something, and I just need to go into the presence of God. And so one of the things that I've started doing is I'll go someplace that's tranquil where I can get away, and I'll just say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, I need to spend some time in your presence. 
And at that moment, I don't necessarily need to say anything, sing anything. I just need to feel connected to my Lord. And I've found that whenever we just enter into the presence of God, the Holy Spirit begins to minister to our heart. We find strength and perspective and calm that can only come from the presence of God. And so Hannah disconnected from the party and she connected to God and she just went into his presence and wept. Secondly, she brought her prayer request to God. She told God what was on her heart. Look at the various requests. She says, God, will you take notice? She asked God to see her pain. She notes to God that she has served him in a culture that wasn't serving him. She was faithful to serve him. She asked God not to forget her, and then she asked God that he might give her a son. It's okay to bring your prayer request to God. It's okay. Now, remember this. God is not your genie in the bottle. Prayer is not a deal where, okay, God, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to rub the the bottle of prayer, and then God's supposed to do it, and God's just supposed to do whatever I ask of Him. He's still God. I had a roommate in college who began asking God, Lord, would you just wake me up in the morning? And he started asking God to wake him up at a very specific time. And then he started oversleeping. And he was missing class, and he was getting in trouble in class. And so he comes to me, and he's asking my input. He goes, you know, Lash, I'm praying. I'm very sincere. God can do this. Why, why won't God wake me up in the morning? I said, God's already answered your prayer. He said, how? I said, he gave you an alarm clock. Okay, set the alarm clock and use the alarm clock. He's not your genie in the body, bottle that you just kind of whatever you want him to do, three wishes here, these are your three wishes for today. At the same time, there's this movement in Christianity. You may not be aware of this, but there's this movement in Christianity away from prayer requests that kind of minimizes it and says, you know, bringing your request to God is somehow less spiritual. Maybe God already knows the outcome, so why are you bringing your request to God? But here's what I find in the Scripture. I find in the Bible, time after time after time, where people brought practical, real-life prayer requests to God, and then the Scriptures will say something like, God heard their prayer and answered. I find this situation taking place. Now, I don't understand what is called the divine economy of God completely as to how all this works where God hears their prayer and answers and yet God is foreknowing and sovereign and all these things. I just know in Scripture that people would bring their prayer request to God. He would hear their prayer and He would answer. And it's okay to bring the request of your heart to God. Now, I doubt that this was the first time that Hannah brought this request to God. I think that Hannah had probably prayed this prayer many times. And sometimes God says no. little secret about me, I don't like it when God says no. Am I alone? You're like, oh, preacher, you're so unspiritual. All of us are spiritual. We love it when God says no. None of us like it whenever God says no. But when God closes a door, realize this, it's not your door. God loves you. God cares about you. 
And if he closes a door, it's because that's not your door. And you may not understand it right now, but God's no is part of his greater yes. Because there are some things in your life that God wants to say yes to. There are some things that he created you for. There are some experiences that he wants you to have that he wants to say, yes, these are yours. This is how I want to use you. And one of the acts of maturity in the Christian life is to come to the point where we understand that if God says no to this, it's because he's trying to say yes to something else. And I don't want anybody else's door to open. I only want the door that God has for me to open. And then I want obedience and faith to walk through that door. And so thirdly, Hannah surrendered the answer to God. She brought the request to God. But before she ever had the answer, she had surrendered the answer to God. If God said no, then Hannah remained the Lord's servant. So she didn't come to God with this attitude. God, here's my request. If you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to push away from you and no longer be your servant. So God, if you want me to keep coming to church, if you want me to keep giving, if you want me to keep serving, you better do what I want you to do because if you don't, I'm out of here. That wasn't her attitude. She was going to be God's servant whether he said yes or no. Be careful with this. Don't bring an arrogant posture to God. In our efforts at times to encourage people that they are loved by God, that He is our Father, that we can come boldly before the throne of God, we have at times begun developing arrogant postures towards our Lord. So that we almost see ourselves as equals. And when we see ourselves as equal, rather than coming to God in prayer, we begin to come to God in negotiation. Two parties on equal ground negotiating about something. And then if the God party does not do what the human party desires the God party to do, then we push away from God and live life as if we are God. That is not the posture of prayer. That's the posture of pride. In fact, that's the exact opposite of prayer. Prayer comes to God knowing that He is our Heavenly Father who is loving. But prayer comes to God with humility and faith. Bowing before the Heavenly Father, desiring His will above all else. So Hannah came to God with a humble spirit, praying. She had already surrendered the answer to God. If He said no, she remained His servant. If God said yes, then she made a vow that she would give that child to service to God. What that meant was that that child would be a Nazarite. You may remember Samson. Samson had taken a Nazarite vow. The Nazarites in the Old Testament were set aside for service to God. One of the signs of being a Nazarite would be that the young man would not cut his hair. In, in uh, this case, one of the signs of being a Nazarite would be that the son would go to live at the temple or with the priest very early on and would not be fully raised by his mother and father. But Hannah says, Lord, if you'll give me this child, he will be a Nazarite. Just a little theological tidbit here. When we talk about Jesus the Nazarene, don't confuse that with the Nazarite. Jesus the Nazarene is a reference to the fact that he was raised in Nazareth. But this child was going to be set aside for God's service. Verse 12, while she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her lips. I'm in verse 13 now. 
Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. So Eli thought she was drunk and scolded her. How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. Poor Hannah. Life was even unfair to her in her prayer. She couldn't even worship without somebody criticizing her. She was misunderstood, and she was misunderstood by all people. Eli, the high priest. Here's what I think was going on. Sincerity, like Hannah's, was so rare that the high priest hardly ever saw it. And so when he sees this woman genuinely pouring out her heart to God, he begins to think she's drunk. And he starts scolding her. You see, people who never spend time in God's presence don't understand those who do. And don't be shocked when lost people make fun of your walk with God. They don't understand it. And don't be shocked when Christian people don't understand your walk with God as well. Eli, if you study his life, was a pretty good guy. But at this point in his life, he had drifted from the presence of God. And here's what he had become. He had become one of those guys who hung out a lot at God's house, but didn't hang out much with God. That's easy to do. You become one of those individuals that spends a lot of time around the things of God, but you don't really spend much time in the presence of God. And that's what had happened to Eli. And so in verse 15, Hannah responds, No, no, my Lord, I'm a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. At this point, I think Eli's heart was softened. And so he responded, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested from him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. And then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Whenever Hannah left her season of prayer, she was a new person. Two people, I think, had revival that day. I think Hannah had revival, but I also think God used Hannah to soften Eli's heart. Eli was a man who needed to see this display of sincerity. He was a man who needed to see her worship. Do you realize this? One of the most powerful witnesses you have is the sincerity of your worship. When people witness your worship, hear your prayers, see your singing, it becomes a powerful witness of your faith in Christ. How many of you watched the Texas OU game yesterday? Okay. Sorry, I don't mean to peel back that scab for some of you, but, uh, but uh, if you're an Aggie, just bear with me on this, okay? So let's say you're really into the Texas OU game, and you're watching it, and you're a connected fan, and then a stranger comes into your home and sits next to you while you watch the game, okay? 
what is this stranger going to learn about you while they watch you watch the game? They're going to learn about you more than likely that you can be a passionate person. What? Come on! I can't believe he called that play. They're going to learn about you that you want justice. That is so unfair. I can't. They're going to learn about you certain qualities about how you respond when you're truly connected to something. Now, imagine someone walking in these doors who doesn't know God. And that person sits next to you. What are they going to learn about God from watching you? What will you display in your worship that they could identify and say, okay, this is what it looks like to worship. When the band leads us in music, do they see you singing or would they conclude, well, I guess singing's not that big of a deal. Whenever we bow in prayer, would they conclude that this is, I guess this is when God's people really connect with God and talk to Him. Whenever we give, would they conclude, this is what God's people do because they want to see the ministries of, of Christ expand. Whenever we open the Scriptures, would the person sitting next to you conclude, I guess this means something to this person. I think this person I'm sitting next to hungers and thirsts for righteousness and the Holy Scriptures mean something to them. Your witness has power and people watch the way that you worship. And when you connect with God, there is a power in that connection that draws other people to the throne of God. And when Hannah left that day, her circumstances had not yet changed. But she had changed another person. And she had also been changed herself. Now she was able to eat. Now she had perspective. Hannah's time in God's presence had given her calm, strength, focus, a renewed joy, hope. She was a new person. Church, I want this for you. I want you to know the joys of prayer. And I'm deeply concerned that in the age in which we've lived, we've forgotten about prayer. We love the Lord. We love His church. We're just not spending much time in the presence of God. We have more screen time than we do prayer time. And we're often stressed out. We're often empty. And we often come into the house of the Lord And our worship is kind of quiet and cold because there's not really a reservoir deep within us just pouring out to God. And it's because if we look back at the week, we've been so busy that we haven't really ever spent any time with God. And I want you to know that whenever you pray, it changes you. It renews you. It brings you joy. It brings you focus. It gives you strength. There is power in prayer. Well, the story ends that after some time, Hannah did conceive and she gave birth to a son. And that son's name was Samuel. 
because she said, I requested him from the Lord. And the Spirit's hand was on Samuel, and he grew into one of the great men of God, a great prophet. Two books of the Bible are named after him. God heard her prayer and answered it in a very, very special way. Every week this happens. Someone will pull, us, pull me aside and they'll share with me a story. Maybe it's a surgery they're facing. Maybe it's something going on in their life, a hurt in their family, whatever it might be. And frequently I find myself in the same situation. I listen to the story. My heart hurts, but there's not a whole lot that I can do because the circumstances of what they're going through are beyond my control. I can listen. I can commiserate with them. But there's not a lot I can tangibly do. And so I ask, can we pray together? Prayer is one of the ways that Christians express our love for one another. When we pray with one another, it's one of the ways that we say to each other, you matter to me, I love you, let's pray together. Prayer is also one of the ways that Christians join together and we say, we may not have all the answers, but we're going to turn to God. And we're going to ask God to give us strength and we're going to ask God to give us answers and we're going to ask God to give us His help. Prayer is vital to you growing spiritually. Please don't just settle for being a human doing. God created you to be a human being. And to be, you have to spend time in His presence. You have to talk to Him and have this wonderful gift of prayer alive in your life. And if you'll make time every day to unplug from things and plug into God, promise you, you'll begin seeing life with a fresh perspective. Your joy can be renewed. The anxiety can be lowered. And faith can be increased when we come to God in prayer. Each week we reach the end of our service. We come to what we call the time of commitment. I find that sometimes we don't really know exactly what that means. Here's what this time is about. It's a time to worship God through singing. That's why the band leads us in a song. It's also a time where you can pray. You can pray there at your seat. I'm here to pray with you at the front. If there's anything I can pray with you about, that's always my joy. Sometimes in life, something's happening that we need to kind of stake out that moment. And so I invite people to come and pray at the stairs or come and pray on the front chairs you say well what's magical about me walking up there there's nothing magical about it but sometimes just coming forward and praying in a service of worship kind of marks that moment it says okay that was a moment where i gave that to god and so i invite you always during this time of commitment to come and pray at the front to pray with me it could even be that you're sitting by somebody that you want to pray with it might be your family member your spouse your child and you know they're going through something and you would just like to pray for them. You can always use this time of worship to pray. It's a time where we respond back to God. So would you all be so kind as to stand with me please as we bow our heads. The band will come. They'll lead us in singing. 
And I just encourage you to follow the Holy Spirit however He leads you, if that's to pray, if that's to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this incredible gift called prayer. And I thank You for this this lady named Hannah that none of us have ever met. But today, her story has landed in our own hearts. I thank You for her sincerity. I thank You for the way in which she showed us how to enter into the presence of God. And I ask, Lord, that we might, too, enter into Your presence. I realize, Lord, that some come into this room today needing your help. And so I call this passage of Scripture Hannah's Prayer of Help. And I believe that there's probably some in the room today that need to pray the prayer of help and just reach out to you. Lord, help us to know. Help us to know the joy of spending time in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.